Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. When I was 14, I was asked to babysit my three younger cousins, aged 8, 4, and 1, in an extremely rural, mountainous part of Pennsylvania. My aunt and uncle had a wedding to go to over an hour away and wouldn't be back until very late. Their house was situated on a steep mountainside. Their back deck had a 15-foot drop into a rocky hill below, leading down to a river. The closest neighbors were about a half a mile away, and the closest main road was a mile away. And at night, there were no lights to be seen anywhere around them. Basically, it was in the middle of nowhere, and you would have to know where you were going to get there. You don't just accidentally end up there. My aunt and uncle left us with some pizza and their cell phone number next to their landline. This was the early 2000s and I didn't have a cell phone. But even if I did, I wouldn't get reception there anyway. The baby was already asleep. The four-year-old wasn't feeling well and was quietly watching TV in the living room as he dozed off and the eight-year-old was playing Guitar Hero with me up on the loft. The loft overlooked the living room to the left, where I could keep an eye on the four-year-old, and there was a huge window that overlooked the driveway to the right. The description of the driveway is an important detail to the story. The road that led to their house ran straight into their fort driveway. It was a dead-end road, the house was as far as you could go. If you went to the left driveway, there's a large open carport and that's where my aunt and uncle and anyone who ever visited parked. The right driveway led down a very short but very steep hill to a large leveled out area and ended against the garage door that opened to the basement of the house. It was never used as a garage, but served as my uncle's man cave and where he spent most of his time. Right beside the garage door, there was a normal door with a window so you could see right in. But this driveway was exclusively used by the kids as a play area because it was the only flat yard-like area on the property. And being on a mountainside, there isn't much room to safely play otherwise. So, no cars ever drove down there, ever. There are too many toys and bikes in the way and friends and family knew this. It was about 10 p.m., pitch black outside, no moon to illuminate the area either. My cousin and I were still playing Guitar Hero when headlights 
caught the corner of my eye. And not my aunt's minivan headlights. These were huge truck headlights with those roof lights you often see on Jeeps or other off-road trucks. And not only that, the truck was going down the right driveway, the kids' play area. This was not my aunt and uncle. This was not anyone they knew. Panic and dread filled my body. I was a small teenage girl, alone in an isolated house on a mountain at night, with three children in my care. In a terrified voice, I asked my cousin, Who is that? Jake, do you know whose truck that is? And then he looked panicked. No, I've never seen that truck before, he replied. I quickly ushered him downstairs, still unsure of what to do. But the two little ones were sleeping down there, and I wanted to make sure they were safe. I checked on the baby, and then grabbed a phone to call 911. And then, I started to hear the metal garage door being shaken violently. No one ever opened that garage door. More panic begins to fill me. I hear them try the door beside it, the metal doorknob jiggling. No one was actually knocking. It's not like they were checking to see if anyone was home or if my uncle was down there. Plus, the lights were out. It was dark down there and they knew no one was there. They were definitely breaking in. The door leading to the basement steps were right next to the phone, so I could clearly hear all of this going on. I quickly turned the little lock on the doorknob, just in case they did make it into the basement. My heart was practically jumping out of my chest. I'm talking to the 911 dispatcher as my eight-year-old cousin clings to my arm. The operator is calm and trying to calm me, but I knew it would be at least 30 minutes until a police officer could get there, assuming they didn't get totally lost on this mountainside in the pitch dark. I just kept thinking, we are fucked, we are dead, this is how I die. The operator asked for the number my aunt and uncle left me so she could have another dispatcher call them to let them know the situation. I turned around to grab the paper with the number on it, and to my absolute horror, I see a man peering in the large sliding glass door. A huge burly, what had to have been a 6'4 man with long scraggly red hair and a big red bushy beard. And what made it worse was that he was grinning at me grinning in a way that still scares me to this day. Meanwhile, I had to look like a terrified deer in the headlights. I was shaking so hard I could barely hold the phone. And there was a second man behind him I couldn't see as well. I have no idea what he looked like, but he was equally as tall, but a bit more lanky than the larger man at the sliding glass door. I screamed, Oh God, they're here! And before the 911 operator can say anything, 
My eight-year-old cousin goes, Mr. Jim? His voice was confused. It wasn't like my cousin was happy or even relieved to see him. I asked, You know who that is? But before my cousin can answer, I turn my attention to the man in the door. I'm on the phone with the police, I shouted. I'm grateful he didn't try that door because I do not think it was locked. The man stared at me hard for a moment, eyebrows furrowed, like deciding what he wanted to do next. But then, he just backed away into the darkness. What seemed like an eternity later, I saw the truck lights back out of the driveway and then drive back down the road until they disappeared. I was still scared shitless, and so was my cousin. He had only met the guy a few times, an acquaintance of his dad. It wasn't like it was a close family friend. The 911 operator asked for a description of the man, and then they told me that they had gotten in touch with my aunt and uncle, and they were on their way home. She stayed on the phone with me until a police officer showed up a bit later to make sure the men were gone, and they stayed with us until my aunt and uncle got home so that they could ask them questions. My uncle was furious, not at me for calling them home early, but at this Mr. Jim guy. He muttered something like, I'm going to fuck him up. And my aunt was mad at my uncle and told him to tell Jim to never come back again. I didn't know at the time, but my uncle had a drug problem. I don't know what Mr. Jim or his accomplice were doing or what they would have done if I wasn't on the phone with the police. But that grin was not a friendly one. It was sinister. And again, he also had to have known that my uncle was not there, because the basement was dark. He would have seen through the windowed basement door. He had also tried lifting the garage door, something not even my uncle did. He intended to break into the basement. That much is clear to me. There is no other explanation. I never did babysit for them again and I don't think I ever went back up there because not long after my aunt divorced my uncle and moved out so Mr. Jim the grinning burly mountain man who tried to break into the house where I was babysitting let's not meet again Hey guys, I'm super excited that I found a place to share some interesting stories with. The stories I will share would be the ones I've experienced with others and can be confirmed by said individuals. First, 
I feel as though I have to give you listeners some background information about myself. I was raised by my mother who is 50% Cherokee and 50% French and believes in paranormal things but tries to pretend it isn't there. And by my father who is Scottish, English, German, and Jewish by blood. He, on the other hand, is 100% atheist and is rather skeptical about things he cannot explain. He endeavors to be a logical and scientific person in all things. Due to the major differences in personalities, beliefs, and values, my parents divorced when I was eight. My mom soon married my stepfather, who was a devout Southern Baptist from Mississippi, and basically gave up her identity as a native and became a God-fearing woman. Despite issues with my mother, my dad continued to let us visit with her mom and stepdad because he felt they were good people. They taught us many things about native culture, spirituality, legends, and the people. My grandmother and I spent a lot of time together, so I was given the opportunity to learn Cherokee medicine. My grandma comes from a long line of medicine men and women and is one herself. Now so many years later at the ripe old age of 23, I am one myself. So now you have some insight and I'll continue. Now this isn't a ghost story, but I do believe it qualifies as paranormal as it is outside usual daily happenings. About two years ago, my father, brother, and I moved into a new home, a little more in the country than our previous homes had been. Something we all thoroughly enjoyed because we grew up immersed in nature and a love for the land. Shortly after moving there, about three months in, I decided it was time to expand my family by getting myself a puppy. This would be the first dog that would actually be in my care. I've always had a very strong connection to dogs, as my guiding spirit is a wolf. After a while of searching, I came across a beautiful five-month-old male German Shepherd Pitbull mix. I went to meet him and instantly fell in love. He was the greatest. Very sweet, kind to the cats, and protective of me. He became my best friend. Everything you could want in a dog. Now, anyone who has owned a puppy or young dog would know. Potty training is a task. Even after being with us two months, he was still waking me up every two to four hours to go outside. Hard on my sleeping patterns, but it had to be done. On this occasion in particular, we got a late night visitor we weren't expecting. Like I said, my dog woke me up in the night. This time... It was around 2.45 a.m., and I wasn't ready, but I dragged myself out of bed 
and clicked on the leash. Opening the back door greeted me with a cool breeze. I rolled my eyes and went out into the yard with my pooch. He did the usual dog thing, sniffed around and jumped in the freshly cut grass, completely forgetting what we'd come outside to do in the first place. I whistled at him, recaptured his attention, and he got back to business. As he squatted, I turned my head to the sky, offering him some privacy. The moon was exceptionally large that night, almost full, but not quite. During this observation, I began to realize that there was no typical nighttime noise around me. As if that wasn't unusual enough, I had a shiver go down my spine and my arm hair began to raise on end. That's when I heard my dog let out a low growl as he pinned himself against my legs. When I looked down at him, his tail was tucked and hackles were raised. When I tried to move, he pressed himself against me more. Another shiver came over me, and I now took the opportunity to follow where his eyes were looking. When I did, I was looking at what appeared to be a coyote, not totally uncommon in the area. We'd heard them on many nights living here, but this was different. The coyote looked different and felt different. The most frightening thing, however, was that it was looking right back at me. I didn't move, didn't take my eyes off of it. That's how I was able to see its features so clearly in the moonlight. Its fur looked thin, even bald in some spots. Its eyes were yellow. Not reflective yellow like you'd see in a dog in the dark, but yellow like the sun. Very powerful, almost blinding. Then I looked more closely and noticed that its back legs were longer than a normal coyote. Longer than any canine creature should be, actually. Starting at the hips and going down, they seemed to look almost bipedal design. That's when it dawned on me just what I was seeing. I picked up my 60-pound dog, never taking my eyes off the creature. As I did, I said a Cherokee prayer in my head that I'd learned from my grandma. As if it was physically upset, it backed up slightly, and then I heard a voice that perfectly mimicked my grandma. It said, Why would you do that, Meckers? No one aside from my grandparents ever called me that. It was their special name for me. With that, I darted for the door. Dog still in my arms. I entered, put him down, and locked the door behind me. The noise must have woken my brother because he came into the kitchen all bothered. He asked me what was going on and why the dog was all riled up. I held a finger to my mouth and shut off the light. 
We then made our way into the living room and shut that light off as well. Like something out of a horror movie, the outline of a tall, humanoid thing showed through the stained glass of the small window on the door, thanks to the bright moonlight. We both froze, and he made a grab for the knob when it started to turn. My brother captured it just in time to lock it. That's when it spoke to him, but this time in my grandpa's voice. Baba, why don't you let grandpa in? My brother's face turned ghost white, and he turned to me. That's when I mouthed the word, and he pelt even more. It began to tap on the glass. The next night around the same time, the tapping grew louder. We sat in the living room praying to the Cherokee Sun Goddess, also known as the Great Spirit, that it would go away. The tapping turned into knocks, which then turned into pounding the more we prayed. This must have woken my father, because he comes downstairs in a huff. We told him about the night prior during the day, but he didn't believe us and thought it was just one of my brother's friends being an asshole. So when he saw the silhouette in the window, he grew more angry and made a beeline for the door. We yelled at him to not open it, but he did. However, instead of harming him, it seemed to be afraid because it got down on four legs again and disappeared down the road. My dad's face paled as he stumbled back a few steps. He locked the door behind him and we all went to bed. The next day we talked about the situation and explained to him that the natives called this creature a skinwalker. They aren't very common in Cherokee legend. They're more of a western native legend, but my grandparents still taught us about them. My dad being a skeptic just summed it up to a weird thing he couldn't explain. Later that day, I went to our local craft store and bought juniper ash as my grandma instructed and sprinkled it around our house. The thing never returned, but my dog was never the same after that night. It's as though the entire experience changed him. He went from a loving animal to mean and unpredictable. He started lashing out at anyone who wasn't female. We tried correcting it over a course of a year and a half, but nothing helped. He finally harmed my brother, causing him to bleed, and I was forced to find him a new home. Luckily, he is with a couple who are both female, and he seems much happier, but even to this day, I guarantee he won't go out at night. I didn't mention the name of the creature very many times because it's considered a bad omen in native culture.
to give those things energy. If anyone is nervous after hearing this, please feel free to message me and I will happily walk you through a prayer and ritual taught to me by my grandmother. I hope you enjoyed and pleasant dreams. The story takes place in North Italy back in 2014. It was early September and a friend of mine proposed to make a short hike in the woods near his town. And I had obviously agreed since I love hiking in the nature. We prepared our backpacks, grabbed some food and drove to the place. My friend knew the area very well so we didn't take a map. We didn't have flashlights neither. Since we planned to return to the car in a few hours, but in early September, daylight lasts pretty long. As we got deeper in the woods, we saw beautiful spots, small rivers, and a pair of caves we explored. They were pretty small and had only one big chamber. We had lunch and proceeded to follow a trail in a deeply wooded area. After about a half an hour, at this point, we're about 50 minutes away from the car since we stopped to take so many photos and explore different areas. So, yeah, we arrived to a pretty large clearance. And here comes the scary part. In that clearance, there were around four or five people, normally dressed. They were just simply talking and laughing. No satanic cults, dreadful chants praying in a circle or anything weird. It was just four or five normal people, ordinary people like me and my friend, talking to each other. They obviously saw us too, since the clearance had no trees or rocks to cover the view, and we couldn't avoid that, since the trail after a deep curve immediately ends into the clearance, proceeding to the other side of it. We said, approaching them, since they were in the middle of the track, Hey there, what's up? They didn't answer back, and started to stare at us, without saying a single word. This obviously launched a huge red flag. We stopped too, and I looked right at my friend. He looked back at me with a concerned look. We said again, Hey! No answers. I started feeling uneasy. So we decided to return back to the car. But soon after we moved back, we realized that they started to follow us. As we noticed it, we yelled, Why are you following us? Did we do something wrong? Yeah, we were still pretty young and dumb and... In those situations, it's often run immediately the fuck out of there if people act this way. After asking that, there was still no answer. Obviously, we proceeded to walk faster and tried to get out of the trail. 
they were always at around 15 meters of distance behind us. We started to panic and we decided to start running. Once we begun running, we heard that they started to run too. This made us freak out. We made our best to put more distance between us and them. Another thing that made me panic was the fact that we were 40 minutes away from the car at that point, in a very isolated area, so I thought that we were hopeless. At a certain point, when we were about halfway back, we started to notice that they weren't behind us anymore. We thought that maybe, and luckily, we managed to make them lose track of us. The area is heavily wooded and has plenty of slopes, so it's easy to get lost if you're not used to it. Plus, we took an off-trail way that my friend knew very well. At this point, we decided to hide behind a thick bush and tried to listen. There was silence, no footsteps, no voices, and keep in mind that even when they were following us, they didn't say a single word. So we took a deep breath and decided to return for the car, trying our best to be as silent as possible. We jumped in the car and raced the fuck out of there, but it doesn't end there. As we left the woods on the main road, we saw coming was a second vehicle right behind us they were following us again, and they surely never lost track while we were returning to the car. We are sure that those were the same people, since one, they were basically tailgating us. Two, the area is very rarely visited, and there were absolutely zero cars except for my friends. And three, their car had no plates. We drove to my friend's town, avoiding to go to his house, taking every country road, and every turn we made, they did as well. As we reached the town, they made a U-turn and returned back in the direction where the woods were. We were fucking terrified and we immediately called the police and informed them where the people were. After a few hours, no evidence of activity came up. The police came up with nothing. They never ever showed up anymore in the following days. But we became paranoid for some weeks to even get out of the house. And this is why I took a break from hiking for about four years. I have no idea who they were. And why the fuck they acted like this? But that experience almost gave me PTSD. It has been such a terrifying experience. I have four sons. My oldest is six. And he's the one I'm curious about. Since he was very young, first learning to talk, he occasionally said things that didn't make any sense for him to know. 
were on vacation with my in-laws at the beach when he was two and a half, and he had a blast in the water with my husband and I. The next day, we got up bright and early to go back, and he adamantly refused. He kept insisting that there were alligators in the water. We tried to reason with him that alligators didn't live in salt water, but he wasn't having it. Well, my husband had taken one of our twins, almost a year old, into the water, and they were playing. A few moments later, a man comes running from the pier, yelling at him to get out of the water and for us to get away from the water. He explained that while watching the water from the pier, he saw an alligator just underneath the water, stalking my husband from a distance. He called 911 and animal control arrived and were eventually able to locate and capture the alligator. It was eight feet long. There had been storms during the night and it was mating season. The explanation was that he was looking for a mate and had come in through a freshwater river that runs into the sea. But how could my son have known this hours before it happened? Another time, I was going outside to do yard work and he told me not to go near the bushy tree, the fig tree, because there was a rattlesnake under it. I thought it was just childhood imagination. I'm doing yard work and I go over to that tree to see if any figs are ripe, and I heard the rattle. I looked down, and I was about three feet away from my rattlesnake, and it wasn't happy to see me. I quickly got away as to not disturb it further and hope it would go its own way. He shouldn't have known that that was there. Another time, we were going to go visit my mom and he was asleep. We hadn't told him where we were going because she had a surprise for him. We got in the car and he said, you can't go this way to grandma's because the bridge is out. We always went that way if my husband was driving, and the bridge had been fully operational the day before. Sure enough, we get to the bridge, and it's taped off with the detour sign. There's no way he should have known this, because word hadn't gotten out yet, especially since my cousin is the local supervisor and he didn't tell anyone about it until after I called him. I honestly find this all a little creepy because I can't logically explain it. So I've been a career paramedic, but this happened when I had only been one for five years. This has never left me to this day, and I shit you not, it happened exactly like this. I was driving home on a rural highway one rainy afternoon. 
It was really pouring and traffic had slowed to about 50 miles per hour. I was following two vehicles and we rounded a bend in the road as a small sports car on the opposite side crossed the center line and hit the small SUV that was leading the three of us vehicles on my side of the road. I immediately pulled over and called 911. It was a bad one. I got out to check on everyone. There was a wailing coming from the SUV on the side of the road. That's always a good thing because that means that people are breathing. So I went down into the field, past the ditch, to check on the sports car. There were two young guys in the car. The force of the impact had driven the engine to where the front passenger seat should be. The passenger was still buckled, his crumpled hand grabbing the oh shit handle overhead. The entire section of the car shoved into the backseat area. The back of the car had peeled away as had the passenger's top of his head. His jawbone jutted out raw and jagged. He was clearly deceased, but I felt for a pulse anyway. All while listening to the gasping, ragged dragging breaths of the driver. There was no pulse on the passenger. I tried to figure out how to deal with the driver, but there was nothing I could do. The car had literally wrapped around him, and it would take a special team a lot of time to get him out. Listening to his dying breathing, I apologized out loud to him that I couldn't do more. Told him I was sorry to leave him, but others needed my help too. In my heart, I knew he'd never make it, so I went to render aid where it was needed. In my line of service, we call this black tagging a patient who isn't going to survive. I did what I could for the family in the SUV. Emergency medical people and fire services got to the scene and took over. The entire family had injuries, but all survived. The mother had permanent brain damage and lost one of her eyes. The whole day, those two guys in the red sports car stayed on my mind. That night, I was home alone and getting ready for bed with just a bedside lamp on. And I heard something in the hallway. It got louder as it came closer down the dark hallway towards my open door. It was like a thump drag, thump drag. I obviously froze. Broken hand curled around the frame of my doorway. And then, that kid from the passenger seat was standing there, busted up just like he was in the car. Totally serious. He looked at me and I can't recall the exact words of what he said. But it was something along the lines of, Hey, My friend wants you to know he understands. He wants you to know that he's okay. We both are. Thanks for trying. He stood there for a few more seconds, just staring at me. And then he stepped back into the shadows, 
let go of the doorframe. I listened to him drag back down the hallway. Thump, drag, thump, drag, into nothing. I turned on every damn light I could. I slept with the lights on for two full weeks. I clipped out their death notices from the paper later that week. Turns out that they were both high school seniors on their way home from a wrestling tournament. Their car hydroplaned from what the investigation determined. I would have never recognized this blonde-headed kid had he come to me as his healthy, unwrecked self. It freaked me the hell out that he came to me, busted up. I still have the newspaper clippings, and I'll never forget them, nor the ghostly visit. Anyway, that's my experience. I've seen a lot of shit in my 29-year career, but nothing quite as spooky before nor since.